Hello, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Tuesday, December 6th, 2022. I'm Mike Cachopoli. Okay, well, here we are. Um, it is now over. The 2022 midterms are finally over. It's done. We can now finally move on to 2024. Actually, we're moving on to 2023, right? 2023 is straight ahead, less than a month ahead. Um, and, you know, this would have been, in case you haven't heard, I'm guessing by now you've heard, that uh, Warnock won uh, re-election, beat Herschel Walker, looks like right now by about a couple of points, like 51-49. Um, not totally unexpected, basically, Basically the same margin he had won, but didn't get the 50% last month. He was still about a point and a half ahead uh, of Herschel Walker. Um, and so a point, point and a half. Maybe, maybe he got a little bit more of a margin this time. And I think that was basically because of a few things. Well, the first thing is that it didn't, it didn't decide the control. I think if it would have decided control – of the Senate, you would have had a much better uh, turnout for Republicans, you know, and, and the Republicans tried to make the, the, uh, the point, and it was a good point. It was a valid point. It wasn't made up that 50, 50 is better for them than 51, 49. I mean, that makes just, it's just math, right? So, um, but it wasn't, that wasn't enough. That really wasn't enough for people to really give a shit. You know, if it had mattered, if Republicans could have won the House and the Senate with this race, it would have been a bigger deal. Then Herschel Walker might have had a better shot. But that just wasn't enough. I mean, the, the, actually, you know, the, the turnout was great. The turnout was fantastic. Once again, showing that the, the hubbubaloo about the, about the, um, about, you know, Georgia having, being Jim Crow 2.0 was all bullshit. You know, all that nonsense and pulling the all-star game out of Atlanta. Meanwhile, since then, the turnout has been like record numbers, record number turnout in both last month and this month. So we knew that was all nonsense. We knew that was all made up by the left. And of course it was. But I think once again, I think the point being that it does not, did not, this wasn't going to control, decide who controlled the Senate. And regardless of the fact that it's 51-49, not 50-50, the Republicans still have control of the House, which means government is still split regardless, okay? So government's still split. Biden's still not going to be able to get any of his crap passed regardless if it was 50-50, 51-49. doesn't matter. He doesn't have control of the House. If he had control of the House, it would make a big difference. So once again, there just wasn't enough riding, I think, on this. There wasn't really enough writing on this. And then there was a lot of other stuff going on. Obviously, if you want to do postmortems, you can talk about, you know, being outraised three to one. Walker was outraised three to one. Um, uh, all, all the obviously the left wing political machinery, all the left wing media, all against Herschel Walker. It's tough. It's very tough for any Republican to win these days with 90 percent of the media being against them, including social media. Right. Twitter up until about a month ago. So it's very tough. And another thing that's tough is that Republicans are not very good at this ballot harvesting and early voting game. <clears throat> that's a huge problem. It was, a, it, was, it was a problem this year, right, 
if they had been better with the early voting and the ballot harvesting, they probably could have won a few more seats in the House, had a somewhat of a shot at the Senate, although we know the math <coughs> favored Democrats in the Senate. It would have been really, really – I still think it's impressive that with the math being so skewed against the Republicans for the Senate this year this year that they only lost one seat, that Democrats only gained one seat going from 50 to 51. I think that's pretty good. And going into 2024, where Republicans have this huge advantage with the math, the Democrats having such a slim majority really bodes well for the Republicans taking over the Senate in two years. But they're going to have to get better with this ballot harvesting and the early voting game. They just are. Now they have two years to prepare, right? They've got two years to prepare for this now. So there should be no excuses about cheating or rigging or any of this. When you have a two-year plan now, if you have a two-year plan, which you should, that the Democrats do better with the ballot harvesting, the Democrats do better with the early voting. Now the Republicans just have to beat them at that game. They simply have to beat them at that game. And I do want to make another point. The one state that was the best at that was Florida. Ron DeSantis had a great ground game. They had a great ballot harvesting game. They had a great uh, early voting game. And you saw what happened in Florida. Once again, making the point that Ron DeSantis is the guy. Okay. Ron DeSantis beat the Democrats at their own game. He's probably one of the few Republicans who were able to beat Democrats at their own game. The other Republican might have been Kemp. But you see, Kemp was able to do this in Georgia, but Walker was not. But Ron DeSantis winning by a million and a half votes, understood the idea after what happened in 2020. He understood about early voting and ballot harvesting and ground game. He needs to be the guy. This is another example of how Ron DeSantis is the big winner right now and Donald Trump is the big loser. Once again, another Donald Trump candidate goes down in flames. And I believe all four of the big Trump candidates in the Senate lost. So Donald Trump's name is mud. Um, His candidates are shit. Uh, Everything he touches is tainted. And the fact of the matter is that no matter how many people, once again, Trump Trump derangement syndrome of the right kind on the right, no matter how many people love him, he'll bring out twice as many people who hate him. And that's the problem. That's the problem. That's the problem when you have high approvals or high disapprovals, right? They always talk about that. You know, the high approval, high disapproval. He's got both. He's got the high approval within the Republican Party, but he's got a high disapproval with Democrats and independents, right? That's the problem. It's a huge, huge issue. It's a huge issue. And once again, this election proved a lot. It proved that Donald Trump's candidates, I believe seven out of 10 lost. I believe 70% of his candidates lost. So it shows that Donald Trump is poison and Ron DeSantis proved he can play the Democrats game. Donald Trump didn't play the Democrats game in 2020. Okay. That was the first year where they really took over this ballot harvesting, the early voting. In fact, you remember Donald Trump was telling people not to vote early. Don't trust it. Don't trust the mail. Go on election day. Well, as we have learned, as we have learned, an early vote is a, is a is a actual vote. It's a real vote. It counts, right? And there's so much time to do it. 
that when you got that early vote, what is it called? A bird in hand is, is worth more than two in the bush. I guess that's the way it goes, right? That you cannot count on election day. Oh, it rained. Oh, I got sick. Oh, I got COVID. Oh, I have the flu, right? I, oh, I can't make it. Oh, I got to work. It, there's always that excuse that you have to worry about. You cannot count on someone going and voting in that 12, 13 hour period when you've got a month in many places, two weeks to a month to vote early. You have to take advantage of that. That's a real vote that you can count on. It's in the bank. And the Republicans have to get better at this. Once again, Ron DeSantis got it right. He knew what he was doing. And you know, if he runs for president, he's going to take that same ground game he had in Florida nationally. You know that. He's aware of it. He's not going to tell people not to vote early. He's going to make sure they do the ground game and get those ballots harvested and go collect them. You know this is going to happen. Once again, the result in Georgia proves Ron DeSantis is the way forward, not Donald Trump. I don't know how many, if there's one lesson that we can take from the 2022 elections, it's that Donald Trump is of the past and Donald and Ron DeSantis is of the future. No, I know Donald Trump has put his hat in the ring and Don, Ron DeSantis hasn't. And I know it's not, it doesn't, it's not reality until Ron DeSantis says I'm going to, he's going to run. But I think Ron DeSantis can see what I can see and what many others can see. And that he is the true front runner. He's the true leader of the Republican Party right now. Remember, he's in office. He's an active governor. Donald Trump hasn't been president in two years. Most of Donald Trump's candidates have lost. And, and Ron DeSantis just won Florida. A Republican never did close to what Ron DeSantis just accomplished last month in Florida. So once again, it's, it's that game. It's that ground game. It's that ballot harvesting game and the game of early voting that Ron DeSantis understood was the way things are now. Whether we like it or not, we can complain all we want, and we have valid complaints that there should be one election day. There should be one election day, and Republicans would have done much better if there was just one election day, the way they used to be for centuries, the way they have been, in, the way it is in every other country. But that's not the way it is here. The Democrats use COVID as they as they did with so many other things. They use COVID as an excuse to get their way, to have to create a new normal, whether it's economically, whether it's socially, or whether it's with elections. They've created their new normal of ballot harvesting and early voting. They're bullshit that it was just for 2020 because they made people afraid. Remember, Democrats made people afraid, and that was on purpose. They made people afraid to go to the voting booths on purpose because they wanted this mail-in balloting. And just as they bullshitted about 15 days to flatten the curve, remember that was all Democrat created, 15 days to flatten the curve, they bullshitted about it would only be 2020 with the early voting. And we go back to normal in 2022, which, of course, didn't happen. And it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. They're never going to be able to pass laws in all these states saying that early voting is illegal. They might be able to do it in a few states here and there, but that's about it. You know, making one election day, that's not going to happen anymore. So basically, this is the game now. This is just simply the game. And the Republicans have to play it better. They must play it better or they're not going to win anymore. I was just watching uh, uh, Tucker Carlson and someone was on there saying that if Republicans don't learn how to play the game, they're probably not going to be able to win those tight states, those purple states now. Arizona is now a purple state. Georgia, once again, proven is a purple state now. You know, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, these purple states, 
these purple states, early voting and ballot harvesting is going to be extremely, extremely, extremely important. And unless they play the game better, they will lose all those swing states and lose the, gen, the, the presidential election. Now, we know that Ron DeSantis is going to know this. He's going to go into this hiring people who know what they're doing. He's going to bring people from Florida who just did what they that, that just accomplished what they accomplished by winning by a million and a half votes. So he's going to bring a lot of those people to the national scene. This all has to be taken into account. Now, once again, I get it. Trump derangement syndrome is very strong on both sides, right? The left, every, almost everything they do is, is fueled by Trump derangement syndrome. Certainly everything election-related and COVID-related is, is, is fueled by TDS. But then there are those on the right who don't – doesn't matter what I say, right? It doesn't matter how much sense I'm making right now. They will vote for Donald Trump in the primary. You know, because they just feel he's the outsider, you know, he's the real maverick. DeSantis is establishment. Well, if the maverick outsider doesn't know how to win a fucking election, general election, it doesn't matter. The primary is does it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The primaries to me, if you're a sports fan of like the regular season, it doesn't matter. You can win it, but you have to win the big game. You have to win the general election. You have to win the playoffs, baby. And that's what Ron DeSantis just proved. He knows how to do it. He knows how to do it moving forward. And every other Republican doesn't seem to. They can't seem to get it going. They saw what happened in 2020. And they weren't able to adjust in 2022. They just saw what happened last month. And they weren't able to adjust in Georgia over the last month. So they've shown they don't know what the fuck they're doing. They can't seem to adjust. They don't know the game. But Ron DeSantis knows the game. And he played the game extremely well. He played the game extremely well. And so that, I believe, is is what we have to take from this. Yes, Herschel Walker was, was not the best candidate. He really wasn't. He wasn't the best candidate. He, he really didn't. You know, I, look, I, I, I like him a lot better than Warnock. I think Warnock is a real phony, a real fraud. But we could have done better than Herschel Walker. We really could have. You know, we really could have. Um, not the most intelligent guy out there. Didn't express himself in the most intelligent way. You know, um, was good at the rah-rah stuff. I mean, he's a football player, a former football player. Definitely had a lot of energy. He's an athlete, athletic guy, you know. So he brought a couple of good things to the table. But, but I mean, just he, he, I don't think he could match the intelligence level of Warnock. When I mean that, I mean the, 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 the well, he's a pastor, Warnock, right? So he's, therefore, he's a good speaker. He's like Al Sharpton. And they're both phonies. You can't get more phony when it comes to pastors and reverends and Al Sharpton and Raphael Warnock. It's bullshit. But they've all used that to gain popularity, power, and money. But still, he talks very well, and Herschel Walker doesn't. But I do want to get to something else. If you want to call in and talk about your ideas about the Republican Party and moving forward in the election and what happened in Georgia, you know, you have Joy Reid, who once again is a real race huckster. That's what she does, Joy Reid. She's all about race. Race, race, everything's racial, okay? Because that's the way Democrats are. They are the most racist people around because they can talk. Everything's about race to them. Nothing is, they find race in everything. Remember, they found race in Kyle Rittenhouse and he shot white guys. So they, they, even when race is not there, they find race. 
And so Joy Reid, as usual, can only talk about race. Everything's about race. So what did she say? I believe it was yesterday. She said that Walker is basically like a, a she was saying Walker is basically like a subservient black person, like a slave being being led by white guys like like uh, Lindsey Graham and and Kennedy of Louisiana. And which is, of course, the most bat crap, stupid thing I've ever heard in my life, because we still live in a world and in a political world where white people are the majority. Right. White people still run everything. So it's not like Warnock wasn't also <laughs> promoted by a lot of fucking white people. OK, sans Obama, who's just a celebrity. But you take away Obama and all of his support. I mean, of course, Joe Biden supported him, but Joe Biden couldn't go to Georgia because he's hated in Georgia. You know, it was such a ridiculous thing. Donald Trump or and Biden could not go to Georgia because they were both hated. And, no, Georgians don't like either of them. So neither of them could go there. I mean, this is how ridiculous this whole thing is. But the whole idea of that white guys supported him. Yes, they're Republicans. Of course, they're going to support him. So did McConnell, although not enough. This is it's absolutely idiotic. And once again, it's totally racist because what it's saying is Herschel Walker is like doesn't know enough to do shit by himself. Right. So Joy Reid is saying that Herschel Walker is so idiotic uh, that he has to rely on these white people to 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 help him. When once again, that whole idea is so who would even think about that unless you're a total racist? Who would even think these are Republicans, right? These are Republicans, Lindsey Graham and and Kennedy. They're senators. They're Republican senators. Of course, they're going to support Herschel Walker and they're Southern Republican senators, right? Louisiana, South Carolina, of course, they're going to naturally support Herschel Walker. So Joy Reid is such a racist because it wasn't Herschel Walker. If it was a white Republican, they'd be doing the same thing. If it was a young white Republican who was new to politics, they'd be doing the same thing in, in assisting him. But everything, everything is racial to Joy Reid. Everything is racial, which once again, because she brings race into everything and makes it about everything, she puts down her own people. She puts down her own people. And this is another thing I don't get. You know, I'm watching Fox and I'm seeing all of these horrible things that are happening in our blue cities with crime. And of course, crime, when it comes to blue cities and urban areas, mostly affects black people. In other words, black people get killed more than white people, especially with all the black on black crime that they don't talk about in the mainstream media. And I look at these poor people and, and, and Fox News has these parents on of someone who's shot or this poor 20 year old who was run over by a you know car. And I think to myself, but these people continue to vote for Democrats. They continue to vote for the people who are killing them. They continue to do this. And once again, it's based on the idea, the false notion that Democrats care about black people and Republicans don't. I mean, it's that simple, truly simplistic, dumb notion, which is not backed by facts or anything, that black people, that the Democrats want to help black people and Republicans don't. And this is ingrained in the mind of a lot of black voters. Now, I don't know. Maybe there was a time in the past when this was true. Remember, the Democrats are actually the racist party, okay? They were actually the party of racism, <laughs> not Republicans. So I actually don't know when this might have been. I do know that LBJ 
pioneered the civil rights movement, right? So you had, a, okay, you had a Democrat, it was LBJ, it was Kennedy, then LBJ, so two Democrats who were championing the civil, so I, I know a lot of it came from that, right? In fact, Democrats often won the South before then. They say LBJ lost the South. Okay, so let's say this happened in the mid-60s, the mid to late 60s. I get it. I get it. But that was one president, okay? That was one very short period of time in which there was a lead Democrat. And remember, there, was so many, there were so many racist Democrats back then who did not want LBJ to do what he did, Okay? I was I was actually in a production. I was in a college production of All the Way. If you haven't seen All the Way, go on HBO Max and rent All the Way, the movie. It was a play. It was a great play, and now it's a movie with Brian Cranston playing LBJ. And there's a lot of good historical stuff in there, but it's a great it's a great play. But there were a lot of Democrats who did not want LBJ doing that, who were racists, who were racists in the '60s. So this whole idea. And the Democrats, I understand, Democrats played that up as much as they could. LBJ, the Democratic president, did civil rights. And therefore, the Democrats, because it was a Democratic president, lost the South. And so I think that notion is what has made the black voters vote for Democrats ever since. But at some point, that kind of wears off. Right. At, the, at some point, you got to say, OK, what have you done for me lately, like in the last three, four decades? And the answer is nothing. The answer is nothing. All they do is use race to get the votes. Right. They use black people. They use them and abuse them. They use them to get their vote and then they throw them away until the next election. And we're seeing Democrats who run these major cities destroying them. And and who gets hurt the most? The black communities. And yet, and they go on TV and they cry and they say, we need new DAs and we need, new, need a new mayor. We need, but they still vote for Democrats. Once again, I brought this up in the past with my friends in New York who complained about how bad crime is. They can't take the subway anymore. They got to walk or they got to take Uber and it's expensive. And this happened during de Blasio. And then what do they do? They vote for a Democrat again. And it gets worse over the last year. So. I have such trouble feeling bad for people who don't seem to understand that as Democrats that have destroyed their cities, it is Democrats who are killing them with these horrible DAs and these shitty mayors. And these people talk and they say things have to change and the DA is a bum and we got to get a new DA. And, and yet they will go into the voting booth and vote for a Democrat again. It's very, very frustrating. It's, and I know people will say, OK, Mike, but the Republicans aren't giving them the Democrats are bad, but the Republicans aren't giving them a reason to vote for them. Yes, they are. I never buy that bullshit. I understand it, but I don't really buy that bullshit because when one party is so bad. What's the alternative? The other party, right? It's like we have 17 parties. So when one party that it's like the Democrats have been running these major cities for a couple of years They've been running them for decades and decades. So it's time to make a change. All the Republicans need to say is, look at what they've done to your cities over the past 20, 30 years. Why do you keep voting for them? How about this? We're going to do the opposite. We're going to put in DAs who actually charge people for crimes. All right? Don't bargain everything down. That's what we're going to do. We're going to put in DAs who actually follow the law. That's it. That should be enough for Republicans. 
So this whole bullshit of, well, you know, the Republicans point out how bad the Democrats are, but they don't give someone a reason to vote for them. Well, no. So, OK, so keep doing this. And what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So you keep voting for Democrats over and over again and expecting what? Different results. That's total insanity. You have another choice, and that's the Republicans. So this whole notion of people like Joy Reid. There's constantly, constantly using, using her own people as a sounding board or as to make a point out of everything, to try to score brownie points, to try to get votes for her Democratic colleagues, the Democrats that she wants to win, is obviously so transparently evil and disgusting. And everything comes down to race. And that's the whole idea. She wants to try to get black people mad. She wants to get her own people mad. She's using them. She's using them emotionally by making everything about race. Hey, up, Izzy. What's going on? Hey, Mike. Uh, yeah, all right, mate. Not too bad. Um, I was just, I'm no expert in this. I've just been putting myself to the test to catch up with, with the, the remarks that you're focusing on, right? And I'm flagging them here because I think, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna run my interpretation of a of a technique by you, right? And I just want to see what you think about whether I whether I'm credible on this, right? Good. So I had a look at you know what Joy Reid and and um, and the other lady uh, Brown uh, were talking about with these two candidates. Am I right in thinking that Warnock is their preferred candidate and Walker is the Republican candidate? Was yes. Right. right. Okay. So in the chat, right, I've put in these two these two direct quotes of what they've said. Right now, I actually just looking at the English construct of these two paragraph quotes. Right, I don't believe that they even make sense in English grammar before you even get into the politics. Right. So it says, black people are upset. They feel insulted. They feel insulted that here the Republicans would actually pick a candidate, and because he was a ball player, that in some way. And if they planted this narrative that black men were not going to vote and are upset with the Democratic Party, that those two things would be enough for us to be fooled. I, I literally, grammatically, do not understand what that means. Do you? Say that again. First of all, first Just of all literally read it. Go into, go in, can you see minute, the comments? Who's saying this? That's Brown. That was Brown talking. Who's Brown? Who's, it, who, yeah, she's the lady in the Joy Reid... Um, the, re the Joy Reid uh, oh, 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 inter interview. You mean the, the clip where Joy Reid says that he's being... Oh, okay. I see yeah, she's okay. the other lady. Okay. Okay. No, it, it uh, doesn't make any... Right, it doesn't it make doesn't, any sense. Right, it doesn't make any English sense, right? There's no proper construct, right? Now, the second paragraph reads like this. It says, and this is, I think, what uh, Joy Reid says, there's a certain level of feeling insulted and that is racist, right? That sentence... I, I don't actually think that makes grammatical sense either because the subject's not and the object aren't correctly set up. And, and there's a motivating factor of who Warnock is. Warnock is a Southern Baptist preacher of Martin Luther King's church. At the end of the day, that's a lot of history. That's a lot of connectivity to who we are in the South. Now, the way I'd interpret that, the questions that come out of my mind is just because that guy is preaching in the, in the form of, in the, in the church of Martin Luther King, there is no way that I would believe He's anything like Martin Luther King. You would have to look into his policy stance, his context, his time of life. 
and all the rest of it. He's not eschewing for Martin Luther King's principles. That's certainly what I would say. And then she goes on to say, um, at the end of the day, that's a lot of, uh, sorry, sorry, she says, those things are working where I think black folks are saying enough is enough. We can show you better than we can tell you. Well, I don't understand what that means. Do you understand what that means? We can show you better than we can tell you? Yeah. What's that mean? I don't know what it means. I, I exactly. I don't either, yeah. right? right? Now, this is what I think the technique is, okay? You have two people who are basically speaking at you in a way that when you really analyze the sentence construct and you try to understand exactly what they're saying, they're saying nothing, right? But the only thing you're meant to hear is the tone and keywords. The tone is anger directed at the Republican black candidate, right? right? And racism is the word you're meant to hear, right? And that somehow, if you are as a, as a member of the black community, vote for that guy, you have been had, you're stupid, and you should be insulted that somebody has even tried to roll out that candidate for you. That That's the trigger construct here. But when you get into the real detail of what these people have said, they've said nothing grammatically sensible. Do you see no. what I mean? Right. It, it, you, you bring up a great point about keywords. And this is something that Democrats have, have done a lot lately, and they're very good at, in fact, which is just throwing a lot of keywords out there. It's almost like uh, it's almost like Pavlovian, right? Where it's certain words that ring a certain bell to people and it gets them to think or react emotionally, emotionally, not intelligently. Like you said, it doesn't make any sense grammatically, but intel they, emotionally, it, ma it makes them think about stuff emotionally. It, it, it yeah. evokes a, an emotional, visceral response. And Democrats have gotten very good at this, and that's what they'll do. It's mostly word salad. I'll talk about this in a minute, but you bring this up. I was gonna, the the yeah. White House response, the White House response to the Twitter uh, gate, to all the stuff that we've discovered mm -hmm. about, about the collusion between the Biden campaign, Democrats, and the FBI also, and, and Twitter. And when asked, Christine Jean-Pierre, who always reads out of a book, who can't even talk without reading out of a book, I find that stunning, especially after so many weeks in the, in the, in the position, she still can't talk without reading out of a book. But um, when, at, when responding to that, it was all keywords. There was no, it, it, there was no coherence to what she was saying. Yeah. She, was, she was throwing out just these ridiculous keywords Word that salad. invoke a an emotional response in Democrats, really. An emotional response that will make people basically want to despise Elon Musk, hate Elon Musk, and therefore just not take anything he says to have any credence or, you know, value yeah. of anything he puts put out there, even though it's all facts. I mean, it's all facts. Yeah. We see emails. This isn't made up. It's actual email. I don't got to go over with you. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But but they'll throw out those key words. Old, 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 old news. He said old news. It's old news. Rehashing yeah. irresponsibility. Um, you know, uh, uh, hate speech on Twitter. Hate. She made it about hate speech on Twitter. What does that have to do with hate speech on Twitter? Nothing. Nothing mm. Elon Musk uncovered has anything to do with hate speech on Twitter. But those are key words that that get this emotional response going in Democrats. And that's all they want yeah. to do because they can't respond to it because they know they've lost. They know they were caught. So basically, you could see in the, in the hearing, in the meetings they have before she goes out there and talks to the press, they probably just gave her a list of key words on a piece of paper. 
and said, make sure you get these keywords into your response. Now, of course, the response doesn't make sense. There's no cohesiveness to the response. Grammatically, it's it's a word salad. But yeah. those keywords are there to elicit an emotional response in people. Exactly, right? So there's another example of this, um, of Yoel, given by Yoel Roth recently, the ex-Twitter head of, yeah. Yeah. of censorship, right? Yeah. He's literally said that he believes that the Twitter files are irresponsible and, and releasing that puts people's lives at risk. Okay, that's what he said, right? Yeah. And, um, okay, so the obvious question to Yoel is how? How does it put people's lives at risk? Right? Now, nobody's ever going to ask Yoel Roth to explain how, right? Because that's right. not the point of what he said, right? He just wants to create some kind of reason for the people on his side to claim mortal danger is a shutdown technique to stop continuation of this publication, right? There's, there's no actual basis in fact that anybody's life is at risk. And there's an evidence, there's evidence of that. Mm -hmm. Anyone in the last 15 years who said that they were the subject of online death threats, okay, as a result of anything, have never been killed as a result of those having received those death threats to any level of statistical significance that I'm aware of. Right. Right. right? Yeah. So if you, if you actually receive online death threats, there's going to be one thing that happens. Definitely. It will psychologically affect you. You will feel uncomfortable, scared, no matter who you are. Right. Because you, because that's the nature of having a death threat, but your statistically, your statistical odds of being killed, are close to zero because nobody gets killed who and they go go oh this guy was killed by a person who definitely issued them a death threat online that's that doesn't happen <laughs> almost never happens right right and that's the technique that your roth has descended to right he has just used that technique for which is which is actually bullshit if you do any statistical analysis or any quick scanning of who died as a result of receiving a death threat online no one right now he he is a key architect of this construct of the censorship shutdown technique, but then his defense is to revert to exactly what you and I have said, which is which is nonsensical, incoherent, unchallenged, unjustified triggering. And that's it. And that is how pathetically weak it is. Right now, I don't think most people would just fall for that. You know, most, you could sit down next to somebody, show them something, say, do you think that makes sense? Most people would probably go, no. But that isn't what this is about, is it? This is about simply having the, the media bat a narrative back and forth between each other to right. fill the pages. Whether or not it means anything to anyone is not the point. It's simply to have the voids filled with triggering. That's it. That's it. If you see what I mean. Right. Yes. It's all triggering. Exactly. It's absolutely triggering. And the, and people like Joy Rita, the constant, every, it's, it's really amazing if you go through all the issues that she's made racial, how many mm. of them are like so absurd. It's such an absurd stretch to make a racial thing out of it. You look at, look at, once again, I, I bring up Kyle Rittenhouse. People like Joy Reid made that a racial thing. A white guy shooting other white people. They made that they actually and, and, and Democrats who don't watch real news, who watch fake news, actually thought that he killed black. You know that, right? They thought he killed black people. 
Mm-hmm. They, they thought he shot five, four black people, whatever it was, because they made a racial thing out of it. How do you make a race between two black guys a racial thing? Yeah. It's two black it, men running in Georgia. Exactly. And also... How, how do you make that a racial thing? Yeah. Uh, but also, if, if you and I, doesn't matter where we're from, if you and I are talking about a political topic, right? And let's, let's just say it's abortion. You and I have a disagreement about it, right? The first, if any of us, if either you or I or a third party observer tries to introduce race of my race or your race or, or generalized race into a conversation about abortion, of the three of us, the person that I would pick is more likely to be a bit racist is the guy who just introduced the concept, right? Yes. Of, of race into right. that conversation. Because right. as far as I'm concerned, it's got fuck all to do with race, unless you right. can demonstrably prove a race-connected issue. Say, for yeah. example, that there is provable systemic poverty associated with uh, certain racial classes, uh, racial groups in, in, in that society that means that they can't afford the elective abortion and therefore they tend to end up with higher levels of single parentage, which, which this is not what they, what the individual wanted. Now that would be a legitimate argument, but just to sort of do this thing about saying, um, if a black guy and a white guy are talking, somehow that becomes a black versus a, a, a white issue is, is a falsehood. And, and Morgan Freeman was, was, you know, kind of summed up this idea in an interview once where he got pissed off being asked about being a black man in Hollywood or something. And he went, look, this has got nothing to do with race. Let's get rid of race. And he said, and the interviewer says, well, how do we do that? And he says, well, you don't mention that I'm black and I'll never mention that you're white. We're just two men, aren't we? And that's basically as simple as you can make a lot of this stuff. It's like, well, stop and, talking and, about and, race. And as you, as, as, as you're describing what is really a racial issue, what it comes down to, is that there are very, very few things that are really racial issues, right? I mean, people make a lot of stuff about race, but when it comes down to the real facts and reality of the situation is there's very little that happens that's really about race, you know? And if it, if it, it when, you, when you look at something that might be really about race, I'm trying to think of an issue recently that was truly really about race, about white versus black. And it, it's just, it, it's not, you, you truly, really have to go back to the pre-civil rights movement. You have to go back to obviously slavery. That's a definitely, obviously, a racial thing. White, white, white supremacists. You know, white superiority over black people is a is a, is the definition of racism. But then you go back to the pre-civil rights movement, and with you know, with whites in schools and segregation, that's all real race stuff. But since then, it's very hard. Because we've made a lot of this stuff illegal now. It's illegal to do a lot of these things that were legal before the Civil Rights Movement and the Civil Rights Act. There's very little now that's about race. There really is. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's very tough to prove anything is really about race. So- I'd I, I, I potentially, I potentially, I'm ignorant on a lot of this, but I would definitely say I'm sure that, that with the, the, there are plenty of issues which, if you've got the right data sets, you can demonstrate that there are dispositions for race disadva- race-based disadvantages in society based upon a kind of a long-standing paradigm. Like, you know, if you, and, and that really is about kind of, you could sum up a lot of that in social mobility, 
But in Britain, the interesting thing about this in Britain is that there is now a publicly addressed idea that has floated on the news that people running around banding white privilege actually have to deal with the fact that in Britain now, if you are a poor working class white male, you're probably as disadvantaged or more than any other racial group <laughs> well, of, yeah, of, okay. of our current time so right. on, on a lot of different levels. Right. And right. people don't, people have brought this up and said, nah, it's a misconception. You're actually worse off in some parts of this country being poor and white because there's actually no affirmative action. There's no for you. There's no countervailing force. There's no equalizer. You're actually only the subject to disequalization because you're white, which is actually racist against you. Right. And that's something that is not talked about a lot, but occasionally comes up. So, you know, it's ne it's it's it is a tricky area, right? And well, I think that, that people like to call it I, reverse racism, but it's not reverse racism, it's racism. Either yeah, it is exactly, race, right? Right. Racism, way, racism is not racism. Yeah, racism is racism, isn't it? Right. So when when you're when company but that's become very brazen now, where companies will say we're gonna be very diverse, meaning we just saw it here in San Francisco where a, a really good, a very revered elections guy who works in uh, John Arntz, who works in the elections division here, who runs the elections in San Francisco, his contract has not been renewed. And they said it. They said, we're going in a more diverse way. Now, imagine if someone who was white said that about someone who was black, right? They Mm. took them out of that position. They said, well, we're going to go in a more diverse way, meaning we're going to hire a white person this time. Imagine if they did that. Mm -hmm. Now, the fact of the matter is that was done in the past very secretively. But what's really amazing about this new racism is that it's accepted. It's accepted that it's okay if it's a white person being, being, you know, uh, being fired or not a contract not being renewed in order to get someone who's black or Latino in there or Asian. That's absolutely fine. So what we, we, what we have now is a new racism, which is accepted as being okay. Mm. And it's not okay. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. It doesn't matter. That's why reparations are bullshit. It doesn't matter what has happened in the past. It doesn't make it two wrongs don't make a right. So mm. it doesn't matter what's ha- I don't want to hear this. Well, they've been, we have to equal the playing field. The, the black people had this done to them so much. Now we have to do it to white people to even it out. No, sorry. doesn't work that way. doesn't work that way. The well, way it should work is very simple. The most qualified person is hired. The most qualified person gets the job, and it doesn't matter what their color is, and that is true equality. When it yeah, doesn't exactly. matter yeah. what their skin color looks like either way. If, if you really are an equal rights absolutist, I, I, I agree, particularly when it comes to jobs, right? There's two things I, I've always had an attitude about with jobs. One, I'm not competing with any other candidate. I'm only competing against two things the bar that the employer has set that I need to get above and my own ability to underperform, right? I need to maximally perform. So I need to, I need to be my best and then meet that bar. And if I cannot satisfy those two things, no one, I don't compete with anyone else. Cause if I don't cross the bar, I fail on my own terms. Right. And it's, and if a company has more jobs than candidates, right. 
then basically there is no one else is your competition. But if there's only one job and there's 8,000 employees, eight candidates, then yeah, you're in competition with 7,999 after you cross the bar. Now that's got nothing to do with anyone else's race. And it shouldn't never, it should never, as you, as you say, what we should be aiming for is equality of opportunity, not equality of outcome, but affirmative action essentially seeks to pursue aspects or degrees of uh, equality of outcome. And I, I generally am not in favor of that. I simply would, would argue something like, for example, anyone's resume, take the name off, the gender off, probably the date of birth, unless age is a legally enforceable thing. And then basically you can't judge whether they're male, female, where they're from, right? And you take yeah. away all of this stuff and you just look at the qualifications and how they've written their resume and how yeah. they've answered the selection process, right? So you, you, you decolorize the, the invite to interview. And then in the interview, you have to train people as well as you can to be, you know, diversity tolerant and then just get on with it and just go past the, and if they cross the bar, that's that, right? Yeah. Now I'll give you an example of this. Okay. And I'll, I'll just better tolerate me for a second. Sure. In flying, Okay, how many women do you think there are who are professional airline pilots as a percentage of the total number generally? I say very small percentage. Off the top of my head, that's what I would think. Yeah, have a guess. Give us a number. Like percentage of women who are pilots in major airlines? Yeah. 8%? Close. It's, it's roughly about 5. Roughly oh, okay, 5. Okay. So you're good. Okay. You, you, you're yeah. almost you, you're there, yeah. right? Okay. So now the question is, Mike, why? Why do you think that is? Um, I'd say generally it's an industry that more men were interested in going into. Okay. Um, and, 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 you know, roughly what would be your gut instinct of why that is? doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong answer. Just curious about your gut feeling. Oh, I see why men would be more interested in going into an, to be a pilot than a woman than women yeah. would, uh, military background. Okay. Anything else? Um, well, so you know, some, especially like Alaska Airlines, a lot of the more military guys, military people. So there'd be more men in that. Um, uh, so military background, aviation, I don't know. Amelia Earhart was one of the first, wasn't she? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exa exactly. That is a very interesting uh, true fact, yeah. right? Yeah. So, okay. Right now. So if, if, if somebody said, oh, there's only, only 5% of women of, of airline pilots are women, right? A major thought construct is that comes straight out of that number is that flying is therefore sexist or undiverse, unjustifiably undiverse. And yeah. therefore, to compensate, you need to use affirmative action at the airline recruitment end. That's, that's what's happening in Western Europe now, right? And it's been happening for a while. Right. Literally, but where, where, airlines... Wait, wait a minute, Iggy. Where are, is it, where are all the cases of women trying to become pilots who were told we can't hire them. Right. Well, that's it. Okay. So, so at the, at the airline recruitment end of the training, training school output to airlines and where airlines generally get pilots, right. As well as from training schools in the mass circulating pilot market, there is really only a 5% supply of women at that end of the market. Right. So if you say as an airline, you want 20% of your recruits every year to be women, you can't get them from that end. No. And, and as you allude to, the real question is this. How many women who apply for flight training from zero to a pilot license 
how many people of there are women and how many, what percentage do you think that is, Mike? So, that it, so how many people apply? How many people, what, what percentage of people who go to flight school are uh -huh. women? Oh, go to flight school? Yeah. Is it the same percentage? Five? Yeah, it is. It's right. 5%. That's right. Roughly. Right? Right. right. Which means that there isn't a sexism being applied inside the flight training and recruitment and airline recruitment level. There's none of that. It's just an industry. The question that is, it's just yeah, the question is why the 95% of people who seem to be interested in being a pilot and can get through the aptitude tests I don't know. end up being men. It's because it's something else, right? And this is what you cannot fix with affirmative action. People do say that maybe there's a role modeling issue that, that girls don't realize that this is a career. Yeah. It's just as much open to them sure. as it is to anybody else. And I would agree with that in principle, but that's easy to fix. You know, that's relatively easy to fix. You just promo role model the other way and then wait for 10 years doing that and see if the outcome changes. Now, after 10 years of that, if the outcome doesn't change and you still only get 10% of women being interested in piloting, but there isn't a sexism problem. It's something else, isn't it? But, right. But you can apply that principle to race and you can apply it to sex, gender. Can't. Right. And that's what we don't, we, we, we eradicate the nuance by using devolving to triggering bullshit that you, <laughs> you're seeing now. But we grew up, biologically, we grew up men, boys, boys are interested in different things than girls. I mean, from, from, from the, from the get go, biologically, who, who, social, biologically, environmentally, everything. So there's a lot of factors. There's a lot of factors. But, but, right? so but all I'm saying is that if we use that as an example, you can still take the same principle of over, gross oversimplification and misleading thought and this kind of very limited view. And you can end up where Joy Reid gets to, which mm -hmm. is basically to completely misrepresent yeah. um, the, the, re the real system or the yeah. real issue. I don't know if it's that big of a difference now, probably still a big of a difference, but not if you go back 30, 40, 50 years. How many men were interested in beauty school? Compared to <laughs> well, yeah, 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 yeah. So, but, but what's wrong with that? See, what I'm saying is, so what? So, in other words, sexism then is saying, yeah, sexists would say a sec. The thing a sexist would say is that beauty school is below pilot school, right? It's below it. It's below, but it's not. It's just a different industry. But if I'm going to be a real sexist, I'm going to say, oh well, women have to go to beauty school while men get to be pilots. No, you see, they're both. They're both fine professions. There's nothing wrong with either of them. And if more women like beauty school and more men want to be pilots, so what? Why do we have to make a case out of everything? Seriously, why do we have to make yeah. a case out of everything? Well, you know, school teaching, teaching is the example where um, I think junior infant teaching, it's like a very high percentage of teachers in that environment are female and, and men are in the minority but you never really hear any sex gender-based argument in favor of equalizing male, female rates in that job. Why not? Well, what they, right, exactly. But what else have they tried to do recently? Is they've tried to do the same equality thing with, with politics, right? They're always complaining. Why aren't there enough women in politics? Why are we enough yeah. women? In, how many, how many women? And they go crazy. Oh, we have three. We have so many women running this time. How great is it? Wow. As though, as though, as though women could never run for political office. Now, as, as though that is the issue, 
that is a male and female issue or a black and white issue or a sexist or racist issue. And it's not. You see, that's what they want you to believe. It's not. Yeah. You know what the issue is with running for politics? Money. With money, yeah. It's cash, connections. Yeah, cash and connections. And, and motivation, yeah. Right. You, and, take and, a woman, and, you, you take a woman who can put $5 million in her own campaign and Mike Gachopoli, and that woman's going to have a big advantage over this male here. If you have a woman who has connections, who can who can get people to donate to her campaign, she's going to have a big connection over a male who has no money and no power and no political connections. And so the money, it, the, the, it, that's a money game. That is what makes it unfair, is that those with money have a much better chance of becoming politicians and gaining power than those without money. So but it's my, the powerful and the connected and the elite that end up in office and the rest of us that get stepped on because we can never do that. But the United Kingdom, and there are other... Re, uh, regimes in Europe, other governments in Europe, who have been led by women, who, 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 for a long enough period of time, that demonstrates that the gender of your political leadership class, particularly the figurehead, has no bearing on the policy trajectory outcomes. Margaret Thatcher didn't fix things for women, right? She didn't suddenly get mm-hmm. equal rights for women mm-hmm. in the 12 plus years that she was in power. Why right. not? She should have done, right? Um, Liz, uh, Liz Truss was so incompetent that she didn't last more than a, m- a month, right? right. And, has, and, and has achieved nothing. And actually, if you dig into Liz Truss, she openly said, right, when she was making her first speech to after she took parliamentary power, her first speech to the entire Conservative Party was that she had struggled coming up um, through her career in living in Leeds, right, from a from a from a sort of a lower middle working class background, right, mm-hmm. um, and she had struggled against sexism. But when you look into her career, her career has been in two major companies, Shell and something else, and then in in the conventional political system. So what she was actually saying was, I have experienced direct anti female sexism inside Shell. Another and then another major company, and then the British Tory Party. That's right. literally what she was saying in that speech. Exactly, which cl- exactly. clearly couldn't have been really that true. No, right? No, because because what she's doing is standing up in front of a crowd of all these people and saying, "You lot are sexist. You you party, my party colleagues are sexist." Right. Well, that can't be true. Yeah, it's used entirely. Look, you know what I mean? It's part. It's partially but, not but, true. But, but, but we've created a society where you can easily use this as an excuse. Not just use it as an excuse, but use it as a way to get over on people, right? Simply a way to get over on people. Just a way to – once again, if you can't debate the issues, if you can't debate your own qualifications, you will gen- make an excuse about race or sex or whatever it may be in order to not have to deal with that, to deal with, not deal with the real issue. You make up these fake issues. But as a society, we've allowed that now. And this whole idea of reparations or this whole idea of, well, we need affirmative action to make up for the past. Here's the the biggest problem with all that. What's the end date on that? Yeah. Where's the end date? There is no end date. There's no end date. Right. That's that's the issue. It's just like 15 days to flatten the curve. Right. That was supposedly the end date. Well, there was no end date. It continued on and on and on and on. Uh, So the problem is. You cannot do something. You cannot try to make up for a wrong with another wrong. You just, you just can't. Because we can play that game forever. We can, we can literally play that game forever. And, and, and once again, this, this 
ignores the fact that there are so many, so many poor white people out there. There are so many poor white people out there. Look, when you when you fill out an application now for like assistance, right, for government assistance, the first thing they ask you is your is your is your race, right? The first thing they ask you, and they have like now they have you know they used to have a, they used to have what white they used to have Caucasian, African American, Latino, right, or or yeah. Native American. Now they're like eighty five races. It's like genders, right? They're like eighty five, you know. But th- that's there for a reason. And when you fill in Caucasian, you're going to the bottom of the pile, baby. You're going. Yeah, you know to what the you do. The, 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 the answer is to pick pick another pick another mixed category. Then, well, you that's know, that's, the, the that's what people is. are starting to do to play the game, right? Yeah, the people are starting to play that game now, where they're starting to put their gender fluid when they're not. You know, they're they're they're, they're putting they 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 look at look at Liz Warren. She admitted happily admitted that she put Native American applications. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. She put Native American, and she's point zero zero two percent Native American, which we all are, right? We all are, right? We all are Native American, exactly. So it, it this is the this is the this is the crazy game that we have allowed to to happen here by doing yeah. this stuff, you know. But and, also, and, it, it means it means that none of this has value. A lot of the once once you uh, denigrate something. Every attempt to use it again in the future has less value to the point where it has no value and no meaning because it's all been diluted and perverted. You know, the, what is the value of knowing anybody's race, right? If the entire point of knowing somebody's race is that it becomes a, a system that's gamed for advantage, right, in a job environment, there is and, no and, value now. So you look, might as well as not even have the box, right? You, you just shouldn't even have the and, box anymore. You right. shouldn't have the box and, anymore. And, and whether you're giving someone an advantage because they are black, yeah. or they're a woman, or they're a male, or they're a white, if you're using that as the basis, if you're using that as the basis of how we're going to fill positions in society, yeah. you're going to have a really shitty society run by incompetent people. Well, yeah, it means that you, it means that you don't have equal rights. You don't, have, you don't have equal rights, and you don't have – you simply aren't getting the best people. You aren't getting the most intelligent, highly yeah, qualified exactly. people for those positions. Do you yes. want, you talk about the airline industry, do you want a female pilot who isn't qualified or scored way below a male pilot because she's a woman, they give her the job as a captain of, a, of an airline? Do you want to be on that plane? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's just, about, it's, just about meeting, it's just about meeting the capability, but the competency bar first and foremost. And that's, that's all you need to, that's all you should talk about. But um, as, 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 as we said right at the beginning of this, you know, the, particularly for these conversations, um, well, not even conversations, they're, they're not conversations, but the Joy Reid um, technique is to say fuck all of meaning that you will never be challenged on because these people are not in um the technique now is so partisan that you get a talking head come up and they are never pitted against somebody straight away they're never opposed in yeah. in real time right? Right, right they are only they are only asked talked about talked to on their own or with with sympathizers right Right. But what you need is conflict interviewing so that somebody can directly challenge and say, well, how and why? And the interviewers never ask how and why. Right. They never ask what's the evidence behind your assertion. And that's that's all deliberate. 
so so that the media can 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 um, help to spread the messages that need to be spread. That's that's what they're really doing. You know, the agenda today is to get this message out. So we bring this head in, and you ask these questions, and they say what they need, and then they leave. You don't challenge them further than that. That's how our media works now, all the time. Yeah, and and once again, and it's very simple. They 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 can't have a discussion. They can't have an intelligent discussion over anything. So if you simply say, "I don't see the racism in this," they say, "Oh, because you're a racist." That's why you don't see the racism. <laughs> yeah. that's how silly. You don't see the racism because you're a racist. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that, yeah, that, that so is a te- that is. There's no real of... winning with these people because they just simply use that to sort of end the conversation. <laughs> Oh, only only non-racists see race. No, only non-racists see race in everything. <laughs> we're we're, yeah, we're like non-racists, so we're able to see race in every single thing. It's yeah, and there's another there's another uh, example of this which can be used, and it's even used here, where people only hear each other's voices and accents. Right, is to say, you can't really validly talk about this thing. Because you clearly have never been the victim of X, Y, or Z. Right, right. right. It's like, that's not necessarily valid. And, and an example of this was a group of people talking on this app, and there was a deliberate clickbait room where they were trying to debate, is um, forms of assault crime worse than forms of sexual assault, like rape? And they were, it was a deliberate clickbaity conversation to trigger a forced debate, right? Yeah. And somebody in there said, a few people said, if you are not either a victim of crime, if you've never been a victim of crime, or you live in a social level of privilege where you're unlikely to be a victim of crime, you have no right to have this conversation. Yeah. And I said to this person, really? Then how is it that members of the judiciary and legal legal profession, who are generally well off, well shielded, and probably don't aren't on the victims of these crimes, how are they able to perform legal credible judgment about sentencing and about everything else right that 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 drives the legal system and they didn't have an answer for it because because the whole shut the whole shutdown argument doesn't work right right and and that's that's a strange thing it's like you've got to be a victim of this before you can before your opinion becomes valid if you're white you can't talk about racism because you're not being racially abused like well that's not really true no, look, the fact of the matter is we can all talk about it. We can all have an opinion about anything yeah. we want to have an opinion on. This is the same crap they gave us with, with COVID. Well, you're not a doctor, so you can't speak on it. The same people, and I've yeah. mentioned this before. I haven't mentioned it in a while, but I mentioned it before. The same people who said you can't have – you're not allowed to have an opinion. You're not allowed to have a learned opinion mm-hmm. on COVID, on lockdowns, on masks because you're not a doctor. Those same people have a very strong opinion about war. Right. Mm. And I've always said, well, wait a minute, liberal, you're anti-war, but you were never a military person. You were never in the military. Yeah. How, how can you refute those generals, those neocon generals who say we need war? Wait a minute. Mm. You should have no opinion. on. You were never in a war. You were never a general. You were never a defense. You, you were never a de- defense contractor. You never had worked anything in the military industrial complex. I don't want you out there protesting the war. You have no right to that opinion. Exactly. It's the. Yeah. The, the credentialism argument for anything falls down quickly, but also um, the, there is, you have to take everyone's opinion, um, sort of, you have to be willing to challenge somebody's opinion because they're like ourselves, aren't they? Everyone's got one. And, and, and I will honestly, 
hold my hands up and say, I don't really generally, apart from this app for a little while, um, I don't engage with social media because there's a reason why it's meant to be the inner monologue. And we don't need to see each other's inner monologues, particularly of strangers you're never really going to meet. It's got very little value. And once you start looking at the content of Twitter and looking at the content of Facebook, you realise that most people, you couldn't, I couldn't give a shit about what most people think about most things because my life doesn't work like that, your life doesn't work like that. And, and a lot of people's opinions and stuff are poorly informed of little value or little consequence. But in their world, it's important to them, so that's fine. That's how the humanity's always worked, right? But that isn't to say that anyone... Can, that, that, that can just choose to become informed enough to increase the value of their opinion. And, and good on them if they do that. And that's exactly the case you describe in COVID. And the funny thing about COVID is this. If you play credentialism and say, are you a doctor? No. Then you, don't, you can't have a valid opinion on a disease or you can't have a valid opinion on the vaccine. Try talking to a GP and find out what a GP knows about vaccination in general or about COVID. It's zero. I know more about all of the GPs I've ever spoken to in COVID about the COVID vaccinations and about the COVID disease because I did more reading than they did about this stuff. So, and that led me to make very specific decisions which have all been proven to be true and correct. And I've never been more right in my life about anything than COVID and the yep. way it would all pan out, right? And that proves to me that you need to be very careful about using credentialism to dismiss people because often there's one thing in my background that was really key the voice that often you want to listen to is actually the voice of dissent even if you don't really necessarily believe that they have credentials to back that dissent if you're in a group of people of 10 people um, and nine of them say yes we'll do this and there's one guy saying fucking hell i don't think so the one person you want to listen to in that group is that guy, right? Find out exactly why he says no, assess all of that, and then and then go from there. Yep. Do not sideline that guy just because he's not like the rest of them. He's the most valuable person in that group, or she, right? And that's what we seem to have forgotten in COVID and in many mm -hmm. other things in life. Absolutely. Thanks for the call. Always great. No I always appreciate it. I really do. Uh, no doubt about that. You know, and look, we're in a situation now where we're, we're seeing we're seeing how dissent has been squashed by a party, an administration, a campaign that wanted only one narrative out there. Just like they're twisting the narrative now when they when they're asked when the White House is asked about this stuff, when the White House is asked about the collusion between government and uh, the Biden campaign and and the proof of collusion between the Biden campaign and Democrats and social media and the people who ran Twitter, they want to twist it into, oh, it's, we have hate speech. We, Twitter's all hate speech. They just twist it totally to their narrative of hate speech. And we were talking about keywords, keywords. Now, it doesn't matter. Just like with COVID, facts never mattered. So it doesn't matter that hate speech is like down since uh, and Elon Musk can actually prove it, he can prove it with impressions and tweets that hate speech is actually down since he took over. That people have actually those people have actually left Twitter 
because he's actually watching that stuff more carefully, but on both sides, not just on one side. So while the left could spew their hate speech as much as they want and not get banned, while the right couldn't, now the left knows they can't do that. So they're not on Twitter anymore. They know that I can get away with their shit anymore. So Elon Musk has proven, Elon Musk has proven that hate speech has gone down. Yet, of course, the narrative from the left and the White House, because they don't want to confront the reality of what happened there, what happened with the with the collusion, they'll just continue on their narrative of, of Twitter's all hate speech. So it's all hate speech. All hate speech. Forget about anything Elon Musk says or does, because it's all hate speech and none of it should be taken none of it none of it should be taken seriously as, as real news, as real facts. So this is what they do. They just twist it. They try to twist it to get their narrative out there to avoid talking about what needs to be talked about, which is the reality, which is the evidence, which is the facts. And that's the game they play. That is the game they play. Um, but I think what we're going to see in this next batch, I hope, of the next coming days and weeks is information about how the current administration, not, not, not the Biden campaign, but the Biden administration was in collusion with Twitter to, uh, to, uh, dis- to squash any dissent when it came to the COVID narrative, whether it be lockdowns or whether it be masking, you know, so on and so forth. That will be the next thing. That will be the next thing. And you can guarantee that just the way the White House tries to spin the collusion with the Hunter Biden story as old news, they will, do, they will do the exact same thing with all of the facts and evidence we have that shows the White House colluded with Twitter on COVID information and censorship by saying, oh, we're moving on from COVID. Well, it's, it's in the past. We, the, American people, the American public wants to move on. They don't want to hear about COVID. And that'll, of course, be the way they try to control the narrative and twist it. Um, but I have a, a quote, I think. This is from, uh, do I have this from Fauci? I think this is a quote. I think this is Fauci. I want to play it if I can. Hopefully I got everything queued up the right way. Here we go. Yeah. Hold on, wait a minute. Sorry, it d- didn't work very well. Let me, let, me, let me go back to it again. I have to make it louder. Hopefully you can hear this. Hopefully you can hear it. Okay, here we go. No, that wasn't actually Fauci. That was uh, Sergeant Schultz from from Hogan's Heroes, which is why I have in the heading of the show Fauci's Heroes. That's basically all Fauci was saying in his deposition. There was a deposition. You won't hear about it on the mainstream media, but there was a deposition. Um, I believe this is all led by the the DA of uh, of Missouri, district attorney in in, in Missouri, uh, or the attorney general, one of those guys in in Missouri, who were, who were deposing Fauci over COVID and and the the misinformation and the squashing of information and the censorship and all the stuff that we're going to see happened uh, between the White House and and Twitter, and of course the origins of of uh, COVID and the lockdowns and all Fauci can say basically is I didn't do anything. I don't know anything. I know nothing. I did nothing. I know nothing. I'm nothing. A guy who was front and center from day one, the guy's been on every friggin' Sunday show since uh, March of 2020. 
a guy who said a hundred times that we need lockdowns, a hundred times that schools need to close. Here's a guy who says he didn't say schools need to close after we know the harm that caused is now saying I maybe schools need to close again. So <laughs> this is this is the absurdity of Tony Fauci and the mainstream media. He says two and a half years ago schools should close. Kids need to be in school from home. Then when it's shown that, that was detrimental and never worked to stop COVID, he said he never said that, and then he says it again. But a guy like that, it's not senility. He knows he can get away with it because 95% of the media is on his side and won't show the contradictions. They won't show the contradictions. So we can continue to get away with saying, oh, I know nothing, I say nothing, I did nothing when he did everything. When it was all, when the policy, especially once Biden took over, was all led by Tony Fauci. You remember Biden, Trump started Trump is responsible for, for creating Fauci, but he did push him to the side after a few months after he realized what a, what a ridiculous imbecile he is. He pushed him to the side, and then Fauci became this big hero, the anti-Trump hero, and then once Biden ran, he said, I'm putting you front and center again. You're rehired. Remember that. So everything that's been decided since January 20th of 2021 has been because of Tony Fauci. And everything that was decided early on was because of Tony Fauci until Trump pushed him to the side. So this whole idea of I know nothing, I know nothing, I did nothing, we know is total bullshit. And we will soon see that we've seen them in emails already, but we'll see it. We will see it once the Twitter stuff is uncovered. All the emails between the Biden White House, Tony Fauci, and the people at Twitter saying, please get rid of this, please get rid of that, just the way they did it for the Hunter Biden story. You'll see that. So we're really in a situation where, as I've said a million times, until these people are held accountable, which means prosecuted for this stuff, they won't stop. We see them online now. We see them on Twitter now. Once again, Fauci talking about possible school closures and how the, uh, a, a China-like lockdown would be the best thing to do. And, and quacks like Jonathan Reiner, who's been a quack since day one on this, saying, yes, we need masks for COVID still. We need masks for the flu. And we need masks for RSV and all this nonsense. Say so they won't shut up with their misinformation, with their very dangerous misinformation, until there are prosecutions. Then they will shut up. Then they will shut up. Once people are held accountable, they you will see. Trust me. You will see. You will see. I'll go on record on September 6th. December 6th, September. Going on December 7th. I'll go on record saying, once there are prosecutions and people are held accountable, once the Republicans do their job next year, you will see these people all of a sudden shut up. They'll all go away. They'll all go back into the woodwork. They'll become the nothing balls they were before March of 2020. But until then, until there's some real accountability, until some real accountability and indictments with this stuff, until they do the Fauci, what they've done to Avenatti, right? These great Democrat heroes like Michael Avenatti, who just got another 14 years on top of the, how many years he had before that. Until there are real, real consequences for what these people did to us, for how they destroyed us, they're going to keep yapping. They can keep doing the same thing over and over again because there's no downside to it for them. There's no downside to it for them.
So, just like there's no downside to criminals in blue cities to stop committing crimes because they don't get prosecuted, because they get away with it. Because they get away with it. So why not continue? We're seeing another thing happening here in San Francisco, and this is with another Elon Musk thing. And this is where Elon Musk is supposedly, who knows if this is even true or not, because 90% of what the media has said about Elon Musk has been either, you know, totally exaggerated or just totally 100% untrue, that Elon Musk is providing beds, uh, sleeping quarters for people at Twitter who want to work overtime, who will have to work overtime so they don't have to go all the way home. Some of them live in the East Bay and travel home so they can sleep. Now, this is not a uh, an odd thing. Trust me, when I worked in radio, we had a green, a green room where there was a couch. And I worked the overnight shift a lot, or I'd work two shifts where I have maybe a few hours in between, or I'm working overtime, or someone else calls in sick, and I say I'll take their hours. And what I would do, instead of going all the way home to Brooklyn from Manhattan, is I would sleep. I would sleep there. Now, they didn't provide, they should have. They should have provided beds for us. They didn't. But there was a couch. It was a comfortable couch that we could all get sleep on. And it wasn't just engineers. It wasn't just behind the, behind the scenes people. Often I knew of hosts, of hosts that would sleep on their couch because they were doing a lot of hours. No one ever had any problem with that. The city never cracked down on my radio station for doing that because you're not supposed to be sleeping where you work. How fucking ridiculous is that? But Elon Musk is actually providing quarters, real beds for people. And the city of San Francisco is now supposedly upset with that because it's supposed to be a workspace, not a living space. And there's a difference between workspaces and living spaces. Now, if there was anyone else, once again, the city of New York didn't give a shit about a radio station having a couch where people slept from time to time who worked there. But because it's Elon Musk, and you see there's got to be a vendetta against Elon Musk because he's exposing what the left is doing. He's exposing what the San Francisco leftists did. Okay? They are now trying to crack down on him for mixing workspace and living space. Meanwhile, this is the same city where there are so many vacant apartments. Vacant apartments with the worst homeless problem in the country. Probably the worst homeless problem in the world. Okay, in the first world here in San Francisco, this they don't give a shit about all these vacant, beautiful, vacant apartments while also having the worst homeless problem in the world that we rarely hear anything about. But Elon Musk providing beds for people to sleep on for an hour here and there. They're not living there. They're taking naps. I know people who work from people's homes where they can take a little nap if they want to. Because they're working in someone's home, they have a bed, they can take a nap if they want to. Is that supposed to be illegal? But once again, it's because Elon Musk is doing it. And Elon Musk has exposed the city of San Francisco because Twitter was run by all these lunatic San Francisco leftists. He's exposing them for the anti-free speech, anti-constitution, U.S. Constitution people they are. They're attacking him. Meanwhile, like I said, there are millions of vacant apartments in a city with the worst homeless problem in the fucking world. And on top of that, Elon Musk puts up an article regarding this with a 10-month-old baby who accidentally 
ate some fentanyl or had a fentanyl, a 10-month-old who found fentanyl in a park and had an overdose on it. This kind of stuff the city of San Francisco doesn't really care about. They bury this stuff. The politicians never talk about fentanyl here. They never talk about fentanyl here. So instead of focusing on these vacant apartments, instead of focusing on the fentanyl issue where 10-month-olds are overdosing because they find it in a park, they're focusing on Elon Musk providing sleeping quarters for people who might be working overtime. And they wonder why we hate them. And they wonder why we despise them. As Elon Musk said, so city of San Francisco attacks companies providing beds for tired employees instead of making sure kids are safe from fentanyl. Where are your priorities? Well, their priorities are, are, are centering speech, defying the Constitution, breaking the law, and getting on Elon Musk's case. That, those, are, those are their priorities. Where'd Karthik go? Did he just disappear? But those are their priorities. Now, it wouldn't matter. This, this might even happen at Facebook. Who knows? Like I said, I worked in a radio station, and there was a couch, and we slept there when we had to, so we didn't have to go home. Actually, providing that stuff is actually a good thing. That's actually a positive thing because it's dangerous for people to have to travel. Some of them probably drive from the East Bay to Market Street in San Francisco to work. And Elon Musk is providing them quarters there in the very, very beautiful Twitter office. This is not like a slum. It's a beautiful Twitter office. We've seen the inside of it a lot lately on television. He's providing sleeping quarters so they don't have to go home. They don't have to travel home when they might be tired. Once again, if his name wasn't Elon Musk, if it was Zuckerberg, if it was Bezos, they, they would not care. They would not care. And trust me, like I said, there are many, many businesses that are doing exactly what he's doing, or probably not even being as nice to their employees. Their employees may be sleeping on a couch or a floor that the city doesn't give a shit about. And around election time, they'll bring up the around election time. The people running for mayor and board of supervisors will bring up the vacant apartments issue. We see it all the time here. That's how we know it exists because at election time, they always bring it up. Oh, this is horrible! Wait, do something about this. They don't do anything about it. It continues and it gets worse and worse and worse. But there, and then the fentanyl problem is getting worse and worse in here with ten-month-olds overdosing because they find it in a park. And this is what they care about. Elon Musk, because simply he's exposing their bullshit. It's about as, as obvious of a political vendetta as you can have. Pathetic. Truly pathetic. I'm sure the disgusting Scott Wiener is all for going after Elon Musk for providing beds for tired employees. 
oh, we must make sure there's a separation. You cannot have people sleeping in a workspace. This is so. This is the most important issue here in San Francisco is making sure that people aren't sleeping at Twitter. Are you kidding me? This is the, this is why I tell you I got to get out of here. How many times do I tell you people I have to get out of here? I tell you guys all the time I need to get out of here. You think I'm exaggerating or I'm being melodramatic or putting on a performance, but I really do. Because this is total insanity. Total 100% insanity. This is what they care about. Oh, yeah. Okay. Is there anything else? Maybe we'll talk more about this on tomorrow's show. Maybe we'll talk more about that. Maybe we'll have someone on who can talk more about it. Um, but I'm really hoping this, um, this new... Oh, yes, one more thing. This is why it might be taking so long for this new Twitter dump to come. Uh, I understand that the guy Jim Baker, who was uh, uh, at Twitter, was actually... I think, I think Elon just fired him today. Because what I think he was doing is is he was running interference with all that information that Matt Taibbi put out. He was vetting it, supposedly, quote-unquote, vetting it. And they think he may have taken a lot of stuff out. He may have deleted a lot of stuff, including possible FBI involvement, Fed's involvement in the censorship. And that's why there's been this debate over the FBI. Matt, Matt Taibbi saying the Fed's, there was no evidence of the Fed's, the Fed's, the FBI, being in collusion with censorship on Twitter regarding the Hunter Biden story. But there actually may have been, and this guy Baker may have been fucking around with the evidence, which is why the original dump took a few hours longer than expected. So there's more to, there's, there's more information there as well. But now we'll see with this next dump without this Baker guy involved. You see, this is why the second dump may be taking so long, because they may have discovered this Baker guy was fucking around with the information and the evidence. And now that he's out, now we can really maybe see what's going on here. Maybe we can have even more evidence of the actual, actual government. Although, as far as I'm concerned, uh, Democrats in Congress or uh, Joe Biden a week before an election doing this stuff is government. Joe Biden was in government for half a century. Joe Biden is the former uh, eight-year two-term vice president, the Democratic nominee running for president. So you got, I don't believe in this bullshit that technically wasn't government. What is that? Is that sports? Is that movies? Of course it's government. But I think we'll see more now that this guy, Baker, is out of there. Why he had Baker, why he didn't fire Baker on, on day one, I'm, I'm not quite sure of. But now he's gone. I believe he was actually escorted out, which means they probably found him doing something. Like messing around with the uh, evidence. So we'll see if there's more that comes from that. All right, Karthik, I was going to wait for Karthik to come in, come back and talk, but uh, I could put some effort into it, invite him back, but maybe he'll call in tomorrow. All right. Okay, I think that's it for today. Uh, I want to remind everyone that this show airs from Monday night through Friday night, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. if you're over there in London. Um, the show is called And Let's Be Heard. I'm Micah Chopley. I want to thank everyone, everyone, for listening. I definitely want to thank uh, all the listeners and 
Can't do it without you. Can't do it without you. All right. I will speak to everyone tomorrow night. Once again, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern, 4 and Let's be heard. I'm Michael Chopley. Have a great night. Have a great day. Speak to you again tomorrow night.